eternity of hope and infinite glory rising from the knowledge of and belief in our everlasting Creator. A faith that doesn't waver. It is on this rock that we build our lives. When the winds come and the waves break upon the shores of our lives, we remain rooted in truth. Hardships, hostility, and heat waves are of no consequence when compared to the hope harbored in the hearts of the chosen. We may bend, but we are never broken. We are, each of us, testaments to the miraculously unshakable. The flowers of grace sprouting from the ashes of yesterday. We are the building blocks of his temple, held together by the mortar of his love and perfect will. Standing firm and holding fast, we outlast the storms that beat upon our walls and seek to bring us to rubble and despair, for we are set with care upon the foundation of his name, the name of Jesus. Solid and strong, unyielding to the tempests and torments, a fortress of hope and holiness in this broken world. Sound and stable, we stand secure in the sun. We are the Unshakables. Good morning. Dude, that's exciting, right? That's just so exciting about those coats. I, oh man, you should give yourself a hand. That was awesome. I think over 60 coats given to West Avenue Elementary. That's going to be such a blessing. And so, man, didn't, didn't Mackie and uh, Baldwin do awesome up here? They did amazing. That was Mackie's first time up here. I was like, bro, just start preaching. I'll sit down. It was good, man. We're in a series called Unshakables. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're so glad you're here. But we only have two weeks left of this sermon. And so you're going to catch the, the tail end of it. But I think it's going to bring some value to your life. I hope that it adds value to your life. I hope that it adds um, just an increase. Because the truth is that storms happen in life, don't they? And this is something we've been saying every week is that you're going through a storm, you're going to go through a storm, or, or you've just been through a storm. And that's so true for everything in life, because life hits hard, doesn't it? And when life hits hard, what do we do? We, we go to Facebook, and we go to Instagram, and we go to every emoji that we can find. And when they don't have the emoji we, they, that we want, we go get the jiffy, right? Jiffy, giffy? <laughs> I don't know. We go get it, man, and we start, we start putting that out there. I mean, something to express the feeling that I have right now during the storm. But the truth is, is that, that we can't be led by our emotions because the heart is deceitful above all else. Our emotions can be deceptive to the truth of God and his character and what he has for your life. And so we're asking everybody, go get a purple book. And we're giving them away free for two more weeks. And then they're going to cost you something. $5. And so, I mean, so you can say $5 today if you go get a purple book and you just commit to giving three months of your life, getting in God's word, seeing what he says about foundations. I promise it'll change your life. You should do it like right after this. It's going to be awesome. Well, anyway, as, as we're going to do that, I would lastly say this. Next week, we're going to actually celebrate the purple book completions. Everybody's been writing down their name on a poster. We're going to transpose that poster um, to a wall that we're going to paint purple, and everybody's going to sign their name on that wall. It's going to be cool that you get to graffiti a church. You don't hear that every day, so that's going to be really cool. 
just really an art piece for us. Um, and I think that art is amazing because art is a reflective of times and culture, isn't it? And this is the time and culture of our life as a church is that, that we're completing the purple book. We're understanding God's character for our life and we're going to stand upon that rock. Today, we're going to talk about the unshakable truth of compassion, of compassion. Now, this is a shameless plug for the Christmas play right now. If you have elementary kids or kids, we're, we're going to be doing a Christmas play here in just a few weeks. Really excited about it. And if you want your child to participate or your youth student to participate in that, go see a teacher right after this. Let them know. But there was this Christmas play that was happening. And it was the, the story of Jesus as, as they're all told. And, and those kids are so excited to be the light of Jesus in these Christmas plays. And there's a, there's a, a young boy named Wally. Now, Wally didn't like the spotlight. In fact, he hated the spotlight because he was dragged to church by his parents. Amen, parents. He was dragged there. He was a little shy, a little timid, and he realized, like, man, I, I need to try out for a part, but I don't want a lot of lines. And so they casted him as the innkeeper. And you have one line, Wally, as the innkeeper. There's no room. There's no room. And so the, it came for the play to happen, and, and Mary and Joseph, they start coming up to Egypt, or, or leaving Egypt to Bethlehem. They approach the inn during the play, and they, they knock on the door, and the innkeeper says, there's no room. Well, Joseph, what Wally didn't know is the character playing Joseph, he was, he was a little off the cuff. He decided to do some ad lib. And so he said, Oh, what do you mean there's no room? My, my wife's pregnant. Do you, surely you have a room. Well, Wally freaked out. He started turning pale. This is crazy. I'm a little intimidated. And so he, he said, there, there's no room. Well, Joseph wouldn't stop at that. He said, well, you don't understand. We've traveled all the way from Egypt, and my wife is pregnant with the Messiah. And if he's not born, then the world won't be saved. We just need a room. We need a room. Do you have a room? And Wally got in character, and with tears in his eyes, he said, there's, a, there's no room. Joseph and Mary started to walk away, and Wally said, wait, wait, Joseph and Mary, wait, stop right there. You can have my room. Isn't that the story of compassion? Isn't that the story of compassion? You see, kids get it, don't they? They get compassion. They're the ones tapping you on the shoulder when there's the homeless man on the side of the road saying, Mom, what are we going to do? we got to give them something. Kids understand compassion. The, the compassion is it really it's just this deep feeling of sympathy or concern for others. But why do we miss compassion so often? And that's what I want to talk about today. Why do we miss compassion and why do we need compassion and how do we step into compassion? Compassion is, it, if we're going to live an unshakable life, then we need to be compassionate people with the gospel through word, deeds, and power. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, is where we'll find ourselves this morning. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The first thing we need to know today, an unshakable life is moved with compassion. It is moved with compassion. We see Jesus over and over and over again throughout Scripture. He is moved with this compassion, this deep sympathy for one another. In Matthew 14, 14, he says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This is what Jesus did in his years of ministry. He would, he would see people, he would feel something, and then he would act upon it. Jesus did this over and over again within his ministry. He would see, he would feel, and he would act. And he's called us to do the same thing, to see, feel, and act. The thing is, is I don't see a lot. You? Do you see a lot? I don't see a lot. I've become blind. Over the years, I've become more and more blind, more and more numb to everything around me. I think it's like white Wally and kids, they, 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 they see so well. And I think they see so well because they really are thankful at the end of the day. They're thankful for the little things. They're, they're thankful mom made them spaghetti. They're, they're thankful that they got a, a, just a little $5 Christmas gift. They, the gratitude just starts hitting them at a young age. And the older we get, the more that we just expect it. I just expect my wife to make me spaghetti. I just expect the, the exchange of gifts at Christmas. I expect those things. And when you start expecting those things, then your thankfulness can leave you. It is while my, my man Winton, throw it up, the throw it up thanks challenge. He's, he's doing this right now. It's on Instagram. You follow him. That's shameless plug. Give him more followers. Come on. Come on. He's millennial. He needs it. Makes him feel good. Man, I, I love this because because. There's this doctor at the University of Wisconsin, and, and she writes this, and Dr. Mirgain, she writes that, that, that gratitude really does change your attitude. It does change who you are. It does change the way you see things. In fact, um, if you're anxious, depressed, frustrated, all those things, it, it is proven that, that giving thanks actually changes your chemicals in your brain. It starts to rewire how it works, and you find yourself growing out of these things and into what you should be. Everybody wants to know, how do I stay happy? Just give God praise. Just give him some things. She said, actually, you should write two or three things down you're thankful for a day. Now, now not just thank them, because although thought is good, it actually is better if you write it down. It's proven scientifically. And ago, why are you taking notes right now? It's better to write it down. It's proven scientifically. Just kidding. Kind of. But giving thanks, giving praise, we should write it down. And, and after you do a 30-day challenge of thanking God every day, two or three times a day, moving into once a week, what are you thankful for? I'm so, I'm so blessed to have an amazing wife who never lets me skip grace over a meal she always wants to say grace breakfast lunch and dinner i was just used to dinner if it was really nice dinner like if it's like taco bell i didn't really say thanks i just ate it that's when you need to say thanks the most it's taco bell 
She's always giving God thanks and praise and thankful for each meal that she got. And I'm so great she's instituted that in our family because it's become something that, that we're never going to take it for granted that we have a meal given by Jesus. And your thanks is a setup for God's presence in your life. If you, if you want God's presence, start thanking him for what he's done. And as you thank him, it moves our eyes to see what's around us. See, when you're thankful for what you have, you start seeing what people don't have. As a result, you can start speaking into their life. And this thanks, thankfulness moves us into a prayer for compassion. A prayer for compassion. We need a prayer. An unshakable life has a prayer life that moves them to compassion. We must pray. If you want a heart for your city, a heart for your neighbor, a heart for your coworker, if you want a heart for the person who just cut you off the road coming to church this morning, if you want a heart for somebody you don't like, start praying for them. I don't like praying for them. It's because you don't want to see what God wants to do in you and in them. You don't want to see the blessing. The Moravian Church started meeting, and in this community of 300 people, in 1727, they started meeting, and 24 men and 24 women decided to start praying together. We're going to start praying together, and we're going to start a chain prayer. We're, going to, we're just going to pray for revival. We're going to pray that God moves. We're going to pray that God speaks. We're going to pray that God would start moving on, on, in, in culture right now. And as they did this, they started praying day after day, week after week. Month after month, year after year, and for a hundred years, the Moravian community prayed without stopping. They just prayed and prayed and prayed, and God started moving, started burdening them for other nations. What they were praying for, they found a burden coming up inside of them. And this little 300-person community in 65 years sent out 300 missionaries around the world. You see, when you start praying, it starts changing your heart. You start moving to action. 300 missionaries getting sent out around the world. And in fact, they believe that it was the setup to the, to the Great Awakening in the 18th century. This prayer life. Prayer starts moving mountains. How should I pray? Well, God, what, what would you have me do in response to this? As you pray and get a burden that should be your prayer. What, what should I do in response to this? What is the next step for this person or situation, Lord? Start praying like that, asking those questions, and watch him speak. And when he does, he's going to send you with compassion. God's going to send you in John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And in John 3, 17, it says, out of compassion for you and me, for us, Jesus was sent into the world to save us. That Jesus is fulfillment of the prayer is you and me. Jesus sent us on mission. You see, as Jesus was traveling around and he saw the sick, the lame, the deaf, as he saw those who were um, possessed by demons, as he saw those who couldn't help themselves, he, 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 was, he was sent to the world to, to begin to speak life into them, 
to begin to pray for them, to begin to move. You see, Jesus, he could have, he could have died the death and been the sacrifice as a baby. You realize that? Like he was perfect. He was the perfect lamb. From birth, he was a perfect lamb. And right there, he could have sacrificed for you and me, but he didn't. And the question is, why? Why didn't he? Why did he have to go through all this other stuff? It's so that he could teach you and me how to live, how to be sent, how to live on mission, how to pray for people, how to share the gospel with people so he could talk about the kingdom. He lived 33 years just so he could show you and me how it's done. And as he prayed for them, he was a single man, and he, could, he was limited to the incarnation of who he was as a man. He was limited to that. He could only go certain places. He could only do certain things. You see, every time he prayed for the sick, it said virtue left him or power. He got actually weak as he prayed for people because he was a man and virtue left you ever find it, you get tired or weak serving in the kids' ministry, serving at the guest tent, baking baked goods every week, and nobody says thank you? I mean, come on, right? Leading your Bible study, your connect group, loving your neighbor, loving your coworker, always being on, never being off. Anybody tired? I get tired. I get weak because I'm a man, and Jesus was a man, and he got weak in these moments. And he said, man, but there are so many people who need to be healed. There are so many people who need to hear the gospel. There are so many people left untold of what Jesus did for them. There are so many people. And that's why he said the laborers are few. Pray that we would have more laborers. That's what the Moravian church did. They started praying for more laborers. But be careful. Because once you start praying for it, he'll call you. He'll call you it. It works every time because your heart starts changing. Starts changing for some ministry that he's put in you. Starts changing for the people around you. Starts changing for your neighbor. Starts changing for your coworker. Starts changing for your husband and wife, praise God. Starts changing. Starts changing as you pray. So a lot of times, God, I don't want to pray for that. That's just too much. If we do, we know that we're going to be burdened and commissioned to be on mission for what God has announced. As he is come sent, he is now sending us to be messengers and ministers of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you are saved, it means that you have died to yourself and placed full trust in Jesus and said, I want to follow Jesus the rest of my days. You are in Christ. As a result, you are commissioned. You're commissioned to go Make disciples. 
to go reconcile the lost, the broken, the hurting, the painful to himself. This is what we should do, and we should announce the gospel wherever we go. We should announce it with words. We should speak words. We, should, we have to actually articulate what God's done. We have to tell the story. That's why I love the one-to-one book that we have at the Welcome Center. It, it, after the first chapter, there is a prayer. It's called the prayer of salvation. And, and, and it, it articulates the gospel so well. So you don't even have to know it all. You just say, hey, let's read this together. Oh, see that prayer? Yeah, do that. Do that right there. Oh, man, dude, I believe that. That's it, man. That's it. It's that simple, that easy. That's what God wants to do. And he wants you to proclaim it with your words. But he also wants you to demonstrate the gospel. It's not enough for us just to tell the gospel or say the gospel. We must demonstrate the gospel. This is what Jesus did over and over and over again. Good works should be visible to back up good words. Good works should be visible to back up good words. Otherwise, you're like a clanging symbol. Otherwise, you're like a person who, who speaks, but it's just like a gong that vibrates and puts out a noise, but then it fades away. No, we should have good deeds. And I'm so thankful because you and I saw social injustice in our city, and we said, we're going to give our kids coats. We're going to meet the needs of our church. We're going to meet the needs of our community. We're going to meet the needs of our neighbors. We're going to meet the needs of the single moms. We're going to meet the needs of the orphan and the widows. We're going to meet the needs. We're going to do whatever we can because, because it's not just gospel from our mouth, but it's gospel lived out. That's what we're believing God for. In Romans 12, 20 through 21, Jesus says this in Romans, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That we would feed those who are hungry and give drink to those who are thirsty. So practical. I remember Brandy and I, we've always wanted to live this since day one. And, And not to brag, because we fall short over and over again. But there was this moment in our life, in our ministry, that we decided we were living on the, the west side of Odessa, Texas. And the west side is a little lower income side, depending where you live. And we decided to go to this homeless shelter at 5.30 a.m. And we would cook a breakfast for all those day laborers who would try to go get a job that day. And so we would wake up, and we'd wake up our youth kids. I mean, we had sophomores, juniors, seniors in high school coming, driving all the way 45 minutes to meet us there to cook breakfast for people. It was like a party, though, you know? We, like, made it fun, you know, juggling eggs and all that stuff. It was awesome. It was awesome because what we saw is we saw a practical need, and we could meet it. We could meet it. And so we called it Wake Up. That was the name of the ministry because it was early. And we did that for a couple of years. You know, God's put a ministry on your heart to meet a practical need, to feed people, to give people drink. In Mark 1.41, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, can you heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. I love that. 
If you're willing, if you're willing, I always believe that God always wants you healed. I think that's his character. That's his nature. I can't always explain why you're not. I can't always explain why, why people are going to leave this earth, maybe young or old. I can't explain that, but I know God's character and his nature is to heal. He loves when people are well. He loves when people are doing their best. I know that's why he sent his son Jesus, because there's ultimate healing in the kingdom of God. That you and I are going to have new bodies. He actually says new resurrected bodies in the kingdom. That's amazing. I want that. With my bad knee and my bad back and everything else, I need a new body. 35 is old, y'all. <laughs> no, but seriously. I, I can't wait for that day because God wants you healed. I'm so thankful for the ministry of Jesus because he actually lived that out. I'm thankful for in our church because there's been moments where people have been healed in our church. And for whatever reason, the miraculous heaven met earth in this moment and healed them. I'm thankful for that. But there's moments he doesn't, but I know that Jesus wants that. If I'm willing, yes, I'm willing. Jesus said, be healed. But what caused him to do this? He was moved with the sincerity of heart towards that person. I love Jesus because he never did anything for himself. He did it for his father. I only do what I see my father doing is what Jesus said. I do this for him. I'm not doing it for me. What a model for you and I as we're moved for compassion and social justice and all that. Did we bring coats at the proper time when everybody saw us bringing coats? Hey, <laughs> got a coat today. Yo, look at me. Are we, are we doing it? Are we giving the bottle to somebody on the street corner only when our kid's in the car? Are we doing good deeds only when people see for us, or are we doing it for our Father? I love what God said because he said this, and you remember it. When it this was a, he was talking monetarily. When you give, let it be done in secret. Because what you do in public You've already received your reward. The accolations, I can't talk. Accolades. Thanks. All these things, right? You already received your reward. But what you do in secret, God will reward you. I love that. To be truth, truth to be told, we have these offering boxes in the back. A little insight. I always said, hey, we didn't want to pass a plate. Because we didn't want the pressure for you to give. But it's actually twofold. Because now when you give, your giving can be done in secret. Your neighbor doesn't even know that you gave. It's amazing. That's, that's why I love giving online. Because no one knows you're giving. You're just you and God. And this is for the Father and not for myself. So where we serve and where we do, I know we're going to serve together. We're going to love together. We're going to do ju social justice together. We're going to hand our coats together. I'm not saying doing things together and helping each other out is bad. But what I am saying is where is our heart in that? Where is our heart? God position our heart that we would be sincere, compassionate. Matthew 20, 34. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. 
What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. He had compassion. That's what caused Jesus to do anything that he's done. In Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. People following Jesus were hungry and he decided with compassion, with sincerity to feed them. Jesus often moved to compassion. He often did this, and he did it so that they would know, so that they would know. Jesus is the model for this, and he's praying for laborers. He's praying for you and me to get off the bench, to join him in what he's doing. You know what's crazy is I, I don't like to join God sometimes, like driving I mentioned this earlier, but it's why we don't have Luminous Church bumper stickers. You know, like all those other churches have bumper stickers, not us. Because I know you aren't Jesus on the road. You know, we, we, we're driving, cutting off people, doing all this stuff. But you know what's amazing? Have you ever noticed this? Like if you see a company vehicle, they're at going the exact speed limit, not cutting off anybody. They're waving people. Hey, come on in. Because they're representing the company. If they don't represent the company, then it costs them something. You know, it'll cost them their, their wage, their, their promotion. It'll cost them something. I really feel like that for us is like we have these bracelets say, seeing Jesus clearly. And it's kind of like our company car, if you will. Is that as we wear it, we're, we're trying to represent and be ambassadors of Christ in, in this city. And in the world, and, and some of us, you know, like when it's, when it's time with our coworkers in the break room, we cover up the bracelet. Oh, man, please don't see that. Some of us, there's certain things that challenge us. We, we hide our bracelet. People should know that Jesus lives in you. People should know who you represent on the earth. People should know. And how much time will it be before they know? We can't get enough jackets. We can't feed enough people. We can't do enough things. We don't share the gospel. We don't tell somebody who Jesus is and what he did for you and me. I was dead, but I'm now alive because of him. Because of Jesus. That's what he's called us to. For God so loved the world that with compassion he sent his son for you and me. Because you see, you and I were separated from God. In our separation, we were lost as could be. We were dead in our trespasses. We we're dead in our wrongdoing. We were dead in all of our offenses. Anything that was unholy, we were dead in. But Jesus came to change the game it was an exchange my life for your life I will I will live this life and I will give my life freely 
so that you could live. And it was the power of God that rose him from the grave in three days, proving that he is the Son of God, proving that he can change dead people and make them alive in Christ. That's the gospel. Go and tell it this week. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I just thank you for your church. I thank you for a church that is so compassionate. I see it. It radiates out of them. Father God, this house has been a house of prayer. It's been a house of love. It's been a house that, that loves people exactly where they are. And God, we don't want to change a soul because, Lord, you're big enough to change anyone. We don't have to do the changing. You do the changing. We just speak and love out loud. That's what we do over and over and over again. Father, wherever people are on the spectrum, whether they need to give thanks, they haven't given thanks a long time. Whether they just need to open their eyes and see where they can meet a need. Whether they need to feel something that they see, that they need to feel this compassion inside. Or whether you're moving them to act, I pray that they would do so this week. God, we're thankful this week for what you've done in us and through us. Bless your church. Bless Luminous. Bless them this Thanksgiving holiday. Bless them in every way. In Jesus' name.